Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, as Roy was saying, this is where my wife uh, really grew in her faith and love for Jesus, so I'm really thankful uh, for this church for that. Uh, and it is an honor to be here. I always uh, count it as a privilege to to preach and to uh, allow God to use me in any way that he would see fit. So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have in store for us now. Lord, not my words, but yours. Lord, speak to us in such a way that your Holy Spirit comes alive in our hearts and that we see your truth uh, beyond the circumstances and the things around us. Speak to us as you as Moses, as you spoke to Moses. May we hear your voice. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, trivia time, trivia time. Roy will run and get a candy or something from somewhere. If anyone can tell me where the first baptism in the Bible is. Do you got a Werther's? Oh, a peppermint, perfect. He will give you that peppermint if you can tell me where the first baptism in the Bible is. This is my son. You better get it right. What's that? No, not the Bow River. Close. We're going to have to talk after church. (laughs) Anybody? First baptism in the Bible. No, no, no. Sure. Uh, No, it wasn't even in the Jordan. Bit of a trick question. Nope. Who, well, who, who, what's that? You got the right person. Moses in the Red Sea. Uh, we got, we'll go to our first Bible verse here. I want to go to it. I'll read it. It's in 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Verses 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. Ooh. Cool. I'll get that mint, please. I'm just kidding. Uh, They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. I read that verse just simply to kind of illustrate uh, some of the imagery, and, and this is exactly what Paul's doing, he is, every, the, every line there is filled with powerful imagery from the exodus of Moses and the Israelites. And, and, and that imagery isn't just to be, that's how, you know, we got to know God, it's a story. No, no, no. Paul says, this serves as a warning for us. How we ought to live. And so, as, and that's what I want to do today. I want, I want to look at the Exodus. What are some of the things in there that can speak to us today and how we relate to God and how God is relating to us? 
So, let's set the scene here. The Israelites have been enslaved for 400 years, okay? And they start to grumble and complain because they've been in slavery. They're God's people, and, and for 400 years they've been enslaved in Egypt. Their slave masters are, are mean and cruel. People are dying under the whip. And, and it is not a good situation. And they are crying out for freedom. They cry out to God. And God uh, calls Moses. You guys know Moses in the basket and gets freed. He, and he kills a slave master and gets, has to run away. And he goes to the desert for many years. And finally, he, he's out in the desert and God calls him. says, Moses, it's time to set my people free. I've heard their cry and they will find freedom. And I will free them. I will show them my power and my might and my love. And I will free them. So, Moses hesitantly, but he does go. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. You know, we've all seen the movies, we all know. And his heart gets hardened. And he says, no. So then the ten plagues start coming. Each one, he thinks he's going to let him go, and then his heart gets hardened. And he says, no, your people will not go. Until finally the last plague. <clears throat> The angel of death. And so the, 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 the imagery here is just powerful, right? So we all deserve death for our sin. And so God's just calling to account that we all deserve it. He says the only people that will be saved is if you put the blood of the lamb over top of the doorposts. That will be a symbol, which we now, because we see what Christ is doing, is that was his blood. It was his blood that protected the Israelites from dying. And that very next day, that night, Pharaoh's son died, the firstborn. And that next day, Pharaoh says, get out of my sight. All you Israelites, be gone. And what's beautiful is, is that the night before, they packed up all their stuff in faith. Tomorrow is our day of freedom. Pack today. Wow, great faith. Saved by faith, right? So they get their things together and they are gone. They start heading out and they're out a day, a day two, traveling. And Pharaoh goes, "Mm -mm. nope, I can't afford to lose this many slaves. So his heart gets hardened again and he sends his chariots after them. And by that time, they're right up against the Red Sea in a tight place. There's nowhere to escape. It's either to the water or to death behind them. And they start to complain. Oh, did, did God deliver us just so that we would die two days into the desert? The baptism of Moses. Through the waters. God, Moses puts out his staff. The waters part. The Israelites walk through on dry land. They're on the other side. And as the Egyptians are following close behind, they're in there. And the water comes back down. And there must have just been a giant sigh and relief. We're free. We've been saved. We have a future. We, We no longer have captors. We don't have to be whipped. We don't have to work. I can choose to do nothing during the day. I can just Netflix binge all day.
What a moment, right? I mean, and, and a beautiful image of, of our relationship with Christ. Isn't that what baptism is? That was the first baptism. And, and from there, the Jewish people, they started to grow the tradition that even time around Jesus, they had these baptismal tanks. That maybe you'd gone through a rough time in your life, and so you'd go through the waters and these steps down in the Qumran communities, and then you'd walk up the other side as a symbol of leaving the old behind and starting afresh. And that's where the baptism imagery continues for John the Baptist, and then, and then with Jesus, and then Paul, about being buried and coming alive again into new life. It's beautiful. The imagery is so powerful as you think back. Like, imagine being an Israelite. That freedom of like, no one is, is going to whip my back anymore because I didn't carry enough stones. And, and not only did we just get freedom, but God did it in such a miraculous, wonderful way. That, that is such a, a show of his love and affection for us. And I think in each one of us, we feel that same way. If you're a believer in Christ, there is, there is this sense that God loves us so much. He died on the cross for us. He saved us from sin and death, the two greatest enemies of humanity. And we're saved. We're free. Who here today believes that? Yeah. And we believe that. I mean, you have to, I mean, to be a Christian, you have to believe that. But that we are truly loved, it is an amazing thing. Freedom. The same journey that the Israelites took is our journey. God is, is, is so amazing and so faithful, and, and He brings us through these difficult times. And, and, and then we feel death and pain, and, and then freedom comes. This free, abundant life that comes through the, the price of Christ on the cross. Death and sin were overlooked. Just as the Israelites, their sin was overlooked with the, with the blood over top of the doorposts on the cross. God pursued them, freed them like he pursues us and frees us. God is great in love and unceasing in grace. So, that's not the end of the sermon, as much as that would be fun if that was. The only problem is this. I'm not one of those people that likes to sugarcoat things, okay? As much as I believe that to be true, and I know it to be true in my heart, be honest with me. Does every day feel like that's the truth? No. It just doesn't. Life is hard. Sin is terrible. And it, and it, and it, it eats at us. And we as Christians, sometimes we feel a little tricked, don't we? <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, I did this thing called the uh, Thanksgiving banquet. It cost $10 to come. 
And I would sell it with a picture up like this, not like this, but it would be a big Thanksgiving feast with a big turkey, mashed potatoes, all the fixings. And I would encourage to only $10. What a steal. And I would, I would <laughs> make it sound like that's what we were doing. And I told all the students that had done the Thanksgiving banquet for that they weren't allowed to tell anyone the next year what the Thanksgiving banquet was about. This is what I would do. I would take their $10. I would, make some, I would ask someone in the congregation to make a whole bunch of beans and rice. And that's what we would eat. And then we would take the money onto kiva.org and I'd put it up on the screen. And we would take all the money and, and lend it. Right? Kiva is this uh, micro-loans lending online thing. And you see these pictures of people in third world countries start, trying to start chicken farms that need $100 to get their little chicken farm going. So you can donate in $20 increments. So we would go and, should we lend to this person? One, two, three, lend! And we'd push the button and it was a great time. And most people got it. But there was this one young man. (laughs) He was just devastated that there wasn't turkey, there wasn't mashed potatoes, and he got mad at me. I'm like, no, 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 dude, we're talking, this is about poverty, being thankful for what we have when we're going to give to people that are in huge poverty and they're struggling. And, and no, that's what we're learning. We need to learn to be thankful. He's like, you tricked us. You had a picture of Turkey. You tricked us. I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, this is better. We're learning to give. And you tricked me. I'm never coming again. And <laughs> he was the son of the janitor. Uh, and uh, she was the, the, well, the lady that cleaned the church. And he came to a couple more youth events, but I felt really bad. He just didn't get it. He was so mad. He, the whole night he was just like, <clears throat> he's like, I gave $10 for this. <laughs> just so mad. And sometimes I think that's the way it is with us. Let me read something for you. Uh, we're going to go to the next passage. Exodus 15. Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. So they just, they just found their freedom. Okay? They had just seen the ten plagues. They would seen God work. He had taken the most powerful nation in the world at that time and make them look like a bunch of chumps. Okay? God. I mean, for those of you who don't know, every plague was an exact insult to one of the gods of Egypt. It was just like a slap in the face, every single one of them. And God was basically saying, I am God. I am. They ain't. I am. Is basically what he was saying. God was mighty. And, and then the water's parting. I mean, this is miraculous stuff. Okay? This is right after that, this is where we pick up, okay? Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled, three days. This is three days after the parting of the Red Sea, okay? Without finding water. They tra- and when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? 
Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Another miracle. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Yeah. Thanks. That's my boy. Right into the Bow River. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. And he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring you into any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. When they came to Elam, there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out for Elam, and they came to the desert of Sin, set out from Elam and the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had got out of Egypt, so we're like two and a half weeks from the Red Sea, okay? The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Are you kidding me? If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day, for that day. In this way I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, You will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that we should grumble against us? Less than two weeks from the crossing of the Red Sea, and their faith was diminishing. I think they must have felt like they were tricked. Like that young man at my youth group. And yet, some ways, I think we sometimes feel like we're tricked. We receive Jesus, we receive forgiveness. We are told that we are entering into the kingdom of heaven. True, true, true. But man alive, some days it sure doesn't feel that way, does it? See, what the Israelites were entering into was a time of building trust with their God, of of creating a more intimate relationship of dependency upon their God. Our God. And it's the same way in our faith walks. If our lives were just easy and it was milk and honey all the time, then we wouldn't have to depend on him. We wouldn't have to say, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. We got no food, we got no water, but my faith is in you and you are good and you have brought us out of slavery. You have forgiven us from our sins You are good, loving, and you will take care of us. 
that is a constant thing in our life. No matter what stage of Christianity you're at, more dependency is asked of us. But gosh darn it, sure doesn't feel good sometimes. And just like the Israelites, we start to grumble. Why this? Why now, God? Why can't we pay the rent this month? We got $20 to last us till the end of the week. What are my kids going to eat? Well, God, why? why? I mean, I've, I've I've been following you. I've been trying. But why is my marriage falling apart? Lord, I've prayed for my kids every day. Why, why aren't they walking with you? Why are they being so rebellious? Why don't they, why don't they want to come to church and, and praise your name? This Christian journey, the circumstances we face are hard. And one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians, and the same mistake that the Israelites made, is they believed that their Christian faith had to end in a destination. Some of you are going, well, are we going to heaven? Sure. Heaven is like, it's like, it's like the place we sleep. Our prize isn't a place. Our prize, our reward is, is God. It's Christ. His presence in our life. Our dependency in his love. That relationship is the great reward. And when we're aiming for something else, milk and honey, some sort of other thing, that job, this perfect life that we want, we've missed it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I want to go to the next verse. We're going to pick up chapter 14. Numbers 14. There we go. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Okay. Oh, sorry. I got to, I got to give you a little back. Where are we? So... After they, they left there, God gave them food and, and they started there eating their manna and they, and they traveled to Sinai. And there, that's where God gives them the law. And they receive the law and they receive how they're supposed to live, which is a great gift from God. I mean, this is a brand new nation. They didn't even know how to interact with each other. Okay? And so... Uh, they, they go there and then they leave. They receive the Ten Commandments and there's all these crazy, wonderful, bad things that happen there. And then they start to go towards the Promised Land. And they camp just outside and they send 12 spies in. Okay, Two of them come back with good reports and 10 of them say, there's no way we can take this land. Okay, And that's where we pick up. That night, all the people of the community raised their voice. And, report, and, and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or in the desert, 
Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Back to slavery? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people in the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. God had given them the law. He had shown his power and might and love and grace. He had given them a path to go. And he wanted to give them their land. But the fear of taking what God is offering kept them from entering the promised land that day. And they would have to wait another 40 years till all the people that grumbled and complained died. Fear of having to fight off the people that were in the land that was promised to them. Did did they not just see what God had done in Egypt? Was he not powerful enough to do to the Philistines and the Amorites and the Cushites? Was, was, Was he not powerful enough to push them out just like he dealt with the Egyptians? And that is the same problem that we face. Two things, two things that stop us from really embracing what God has for us. The first one we've already talked about is that we are looking for some reward, something to receive, not whom, not his presence. So we will be stuck in the desert, longing and painting pictures of Egypt, wishing we could go back to a time that was more predictable, that we were in control to somewhat. We knew that if we just did this, we wouldn't get hit. That is a predictable life. But this life of faith, of walking by faith, and having to put your trust in God and build a relationship with a God that you can't see but you know is real, is hard. And to to let go of the trust to just say, I'm going to do what you ask, Lord. Even though it seems ridiculous, I'm going to do it. That's tough. And then the next thing, taking the promised land. I don't know about you, but I know that God speaks to me in my quiet times and deep down in my heart and in my soul. He has spoken promises to me about my future. And I'm going to assume he has spoken to you too. And he has said, I've got places for you. I, I have things for you to do. 
I have a time and a place for you to be who I am calling you to be. But there's some giants that need to be slayed. There's some people, there's some things that need to be pushed out of your life, your family, your situations. And it seems too hard to do. I'd rather, I'd rather just go back and stay in the desert. Stay in the sand. Because that promised land just seems too hard to conquer. There's two things that are holding us back as Christians in our personal journey that Paul says that we need to take as a warning. What are the promises in your life that God is saying, this this is what I have for you? Or this church? (laughs) Kind of depressing sermon, Stuart, you big jerk. It's meant to be a little depressing, but it's also meant to be encouraging. There's two things that are holding us back. Our desire for comfort and predictability. Those are things that God... Not, he, he, his comfort is comforting, but not the comfortable life. That wasn't offered. And predictability, that's far from the Christian walk. But there's a part of us that longs for that. And that keeps us stagnant in our faith. And then our fear of moving forward to the promises that God has for us keeps us from taking the land. Getting rid of those things in our life that are holding us back. Dedicating that time in the morning to spend, to just say, I got, I got to get right with you, God. I got I, I've got to make time for you. Getting rid of the idols that are holding us back. The golden calves. It's kind of depressing. However, the thing that is encouraging is this. Is the God that rescued the Israelites and saved them is the same God today. And he pursued them. And he loves them. And he saved them from slavery. And he has a plan. And he is the great pursuer. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. And he is the hound of heaven. He's wanting you to find all that he has for you. And he is going to bring circumstances in your life and he will continue to do it until you give in and find what he has for you. He who has began a good work in you will, not, will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus for this church, for you. So we can sit there and get depressed that we're not doing our part, but God's not giving up on me and he's not giving up on you. He loves us and he cares about us. He's got a plan. Are you on board? Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you for these stories that just kind of can move us and illustrate the same things that are going on in our struggles. Lord, as Christians, we have this tendency to kind of downplay this stuff and and, and pretend that everything is good at the surface. But if we don't deal with this stuff down here and get rid of those idols and, 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 and want you as our greatest reward, we are gonna stay in the desert 
and it is going to feel terrible. We want you, Lord Jesus. We want what you have for us. We want your promises, your future, your presence in our life. Open our hearts. Give us the strength. Give us the joy to receive what you have for us today. Lord, we love and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Stuart. What a great word. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're kind of still in that life of bondage and slavery without a Savior. You can receive that same forgiveness that most in this room have received. And all you need to do is acknowledge the fact that, as the Bible says, we're all sinners and we need forgiveness. And asking Christ to forgive you and transform and change your life. And he puts his Holy Spirit in us, which is an amazing miracle. And wants to lead us and guide us and demonstrate to us all the time how much he loves us. As Stuart said, it's not always easy. But he's always there. Always, 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 he's always there. And all you need to do is just pray a very simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Your word says I am. And I know I am. But you died on the cross for me, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and, and take it away. Put your Holy Spirit, your presence inside of me. And help me walk this life, because we all need help to walk it. And thank him. And then tell somebody the decision you've made. It's important to tell somebody. And uh, continue to pray. And if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll give you one and read the Bible. And spend time with him. And Father, I thank you for the word the steward has shared. I, I thank you, Lord, that your love is everlasting. You're faithful and true. For each person here, we pray, God, that you would help us to understand, as even has been shared with us so adequately this morning, of the things that sometimes we are afraid of and we're not willing to give up. And Lord, let it be for more than just comfort for us. Lord, you are concerned more about our character than our comfort, and you want us to grow, and we thank you for that. So, church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance on you, and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. You may want to ask